0: Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Forgotten Football Club's podcast. I am your host, as usual, Rory Bryce. And I'm joined once again by the author of the book, Phil Phil, how's it going, mate?
1: What's up, Rory? Good, good. Um, Yeah, excited for another episode. I think it's episode 21.
0: Episode 21, absolutely. Obviously, we've been all around Europe and the world at this point. We were in Italy. When we recorded our last episode, um, by the time this one comes out, that'll be two weeks ago, so it had been quite a while, but, you know, it was a, a well-needed well break for us both just to catch up on a few other things. But we were in Italy last, Uh, we've been to Mexico, Paraguay, um, America, going all over the place. Not, you know, we've not obviously been in person or physically, but in terms of the clubs we're covering, we've been there. If, if, I wish we could go to all these places ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we could go to Bolivia, uh America, Mexico, um, what else would we be in Brazil, uh obviously the Scandinavian countries we covered, Finland, Twice, Iceland, uh, is that really yeah, the UK, which is close enough, Ireland. Um, you know, I think we've also touched on China, Australia, um, Africa, well, mainly South Africa, uh, Cyprus. Yeah, I mean the list goes on. Um, but today. We're going to a country that um, is a European country, um, which is probably a country that, you know, many people might not associate with football or football history in that case. But definitely one of the countries that are emerging as, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say a top football nation, but are definitely emerging and, and, you know, are doing quite well internationally as well. But today we're going to learn about club level.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're very much a nation on the rise. Loads of the clubs are on the rise as well, Um, been doing so for quite some time. And as you said, it's a nation that a lot of people may overlook Um, or even undervalue. This week, we are going to be talking about Racing Club Luxembourg. We're going to talk about football in Luxembourg in general. And to help us talk through all of this, we have Benz Horvath from the Luxembourg footy. Twitter account and media outlet and blog, however you want to call it. Benz, how are things going, mate?
2: Yeah, thank you for the introduction. And hey, guys, thank uh, thanks for the invitation as well. I'm really glad to be here and to be uh, guiding you through all these topics, basically, that you've just touched upon. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting conversation, I feel, because there's uh, a lot of clubs with great history and a lot of clubs with links to Racing Club Luxembourg that uh, I fear should be mentioned in the next... Minutes, hours, whatever it's gonna be.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we're really excited. Um, well, as you said, you're going to be guiding us through this. You know, you, you've probably guessed Phil and I. Phil, pro- Phil will know more than me, undoubtedly. I don't know a huge amount about football in Luxembourg, past um some of the, uh, some of the clubs that have merged, some of the clubs that have been lost. Obviously, the clubs that play in Europe. So, um. I'm not going to take a backseat by any means. I have loads of questions, uh, but obviously when it comes to the history side of things, um, yourself and Phil are, are really going to be bouncing off each other, I feel. Obviously, if, if you've been following our Twitter, you'll have seen through the week we've now hit 40 countries across Europe. I think Luxembourg were on the list, Phil. Uh, yeah, they definitely were. I, I remember that. Uh, as well as other countries all over the world, uh, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore, Australia, Canada, America, ecuador like we've got some wild places in there in nigeria as well the only country the only country from africa so far so um really starting to get out there so it's only fair that we start touching on uh some of the the really really good stuff um from football and nations that are a wee bit overlooked so ben's just before we get things kicked off why don't you tell uh our listeners a little bit about yourself about your twitter page and, and the other kind of things that you've done with uh, with luxembourg and luxembourg free
2: Oh, thanks for the question. Uh, well, as you could hear, I'm Ben. I'm running the football in Luxembourg, uh, Twitter page and everything associated with it. Uh, it's really not been a big project so far. I started it when lockdown came around. Of course, I, I needed some time to do. I've always loved football, loved reporting, giving something new to, to a new audience, You know, gaining followers and talking about the stuff in football that re- doesn't really get mentioned because I hate the big players, the big leagues being overhyped. All the time, the Premier League being spoken about as the absolute pinnacle of football, as if there was nothing beneath it and no more interesting stories that that are lying under in semi-professional or amateur leagues. And so that's why I started to follow Luxembourg football more uh, carefully, sort of like you know uh, following the results, the teams, because it looked like something was was on the rise, something was happening uh, under the surface. So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper. And that's why I started it like three years ago. And hopefully it will continue to grow and I will continue to, to stay active on it because it's really been an amazing journey so far for me. Uh, I have gotten uh, podcast requests, of course, and, and a freelance job, really. Uh, just typing about whatever I want to I talk about and type about. And of course, that's mostly Luxembourg football league because it truly is uh, one of the most unpredictable and exciting and obscure hobbies that, that one can have, I think. So, well, I, I think that describes me uh, pretty much up to now. Of course, I'm looking forward to more collaborations or chances to, to speak or write uh, for anyone. If, if you have wondered anything about Luxembourgish football or just have a question or want to have a friendly discussion, feel free to hit me up. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, at Luxembourg Footy, as has already been mentioned as well. So, thank you for the chance to introduce myself.
0: No, at all, man. I mean, you can hear just by speaking about it. It's, it's obviously something that you're very, very passionate about. Something you're deeply involved in. Obviously, we, we follow your Twitter quite closely. So, it's it's amazing that the work that you're doing. I think it's been quite a feature of this podcast um, since we started. Really, that Phil and I quite enjoy. Given um, given uh, a bit more. A bit more time and limelight to maybe smaller nations that are that are overlooked in in Europe, uh, and you know we've been going further down. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Scottish football, fellas, Irish football, uh, leagues which have big teams but aren't necessarily uh, you know, pulling up trees anywhere. Um, Iceland, we've we've kind of got a bit of obsession with Iceland and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, well, we've got a bit of a I don't want to say cult following, but. We did uh, hit number two sports podcast in Iceland at once, and uh, so that was quite impressive. So uh, I don't know. I I think we mentioned before, Rory. I think if we went to Iceland, you know, maybe we'd be some sort of celebrity or some, celebrities. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I hope not. Um. So yeah, we we like we like talking about nations that, that aren't really thought of as as being football powerhouses, shall we say? Uh, we like giving them a bit of time. Uh, we like shedding a light on their histories and the histories of the clubs as well. Uh, are
2: you actually from Luxembourg yourself, Benz? Uh, I'm not from Luxembourg myself, no, I'm from Hungary, I was I'm born and raised there, so it's, already, uh, it's always just been this kind of weird obsession that I've already mentioned, that uh, I started browsing through results, uh, Luxembourg actually did play Hungary once in 2017, and they won, and so I think that was the first starting point, when I, when I was looking at the uh, team sheets, and I was like, oh, okay, they've, they've got some players and interesting teams all over Europe, so might so actually be a decent project and not just hunger leaving to another minos and so that that's that's beside me along the journey and of course i have realized uh just simply how much has been put into luxembourgish football in terms of efforts and energy and time and of course money uh say the least and so i think that that's been behind uh this whole drive from me to experience luxembourgish football in a little more detail
0: yeah nice no that that's brilliant that's that's exactly what we want to hear um as we said it's it's obviously an obsession of yours and and you've been following it for some time so it's great to see the work that you've done um and and the work that you're doing to to bring some attention to to what seems like a really interesting league and as we say the nation that's that's really starting to make moves on on the international stage so obviously we'll we'll come on to that and talk about it a, a bit more generally later on uh, we'll open up the conversation and really dive into uh, football in Luxembourg overall but we're going to start off with the club that Phil covered in the book now they're known as Racing Club Luxembourg, they were founded as Racing Club Luxembourg, some people might still abbreviate their name to that, they probably had another similar name to that, they've been through a number of name changes and mergers throughout the years Um, and if you are a believer of the well, I don't want to say a believer of the theory, but if, if you're someone who thinks that uh, a club can be a continuation all the way through, which is fair enough without going defunct, um, then they are technically still a club as well in one form or another. So, Phil, why don't you kick us off? Why don't you start the story of uh, Racing Club Luxembourg?
1: Yeah I mean just before I kick it off uh, the reason why I picked this club is actually because of Ben himself he wrote he wrote uh, about this club for uh, forgotten uh, football clubs blog uh, Ben me and Ben uh, you know he worked uh, with forgotten football clubs on the blog um and he wrote a few stories um and Racing Club Luxembourg is one of them and basically he wrote this chapter uh, really. Um. So he will know more about it. Obviously, I've I've read all about them and stuff like that. And anytime Bent puts stuff up on Twitter, I, I kind of get enthralled by it because uh, the passion and and uh, work that he puts in uh to it is is unreal. Uh. Of course, um. I, I, Luxembourg as well are a club that only recently bet uh. Ireland, <laughs> um. Uh. There. Uh, and it was quite a bit of a—I don't want to be disrespectful, but it was a low point uh, for us over here uh, in Ireland when they beat us one uh, 0 Um, but uh, I do remember Ben's got a lot of attraction from uh, Irish fans, and a lot of people started following from Ireland after that, uh, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, look, Racing Club Luxembourg um, Benz, I'm going to start off but you can you can jump in and correct me at any point uh, because you are as far as I'm concerned the expert on all things Luxembourg um, They were one of the first clubs in the country uh, They were founded in 1907 uh, meaning that they would compete in the first ever national division in 1909-10 which was held in a knockout round structure because there weren't enough clubs to play a league at the time. Would that be correct
2: Benz? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The first ever football club in Luxembourg was founded in 1906, so it wasn't until decades later that there was uh, proper amount of teams to actually hold the league structure and stuff. But we'll get to that later. Hmm,
1: hmm. Um, I mean, Racing Club uh, done quite
2: well in their early years as well, and um, they
1: won the the whole thing, uh, beating a club called. Now again, Ben, so I don't know if you listen to our podcast, but uh, me and Rory aren't quite uh, well. <laughs> I'll say you as well, we're not quite good with the old pronunciation. Oh no,
0: I, I can't pronounce anything. Be so, um, uh,
1: they bet a club called Hollerich, would that be correct? Is that...
2: Uh, I think I'd say Hollerich, with Hollerich. an hash at the end. Yeah, but it's really hard to differentiate sometimes whether a word is pronounced the German or the French way when it's talking about you know Luxembourgish um, words, as the language really just comprises uh, a mixture of these two. So you can just say however you want it, and and if it's really wrong, then I will correct you, don't worry.
1: Fair enough, it probably will be really wrong a lot of the time. uh... Thank
2: you, much
0: appreciated. (laughs) Uh, We've probably probably got a few laughs out of people um, from the amount of pronunciations we've messed up and absolutely butchered, so at least that's something.
1: Yeah, Um, but they lost, we'll say Hollerish 3-2 in that, that, or sorry, they beat Hollerish 3-2 in that final. Um the next year they didn't enter the league. Uh but uh, is there any reason why they didn't enter that league, at the N O or is it just they just took a break?
2: I did not find a reason actually, because I think it was all just a bit on again off again with Luxembourgish football at the time. Like uh the clubs didn't have a set eleven uh players yet. And it was all really just at the beginning, uh, you know, the forming of everything. So it was completely normal for a team to just say, okay, we're just uh coming in next year, we're not bothered this year for one reason or another.
1: OK, that, that's that's fair enough. I mean, they came back in 1911-12 and they actually had several players in their team uh, represent uh, Luxembourg in their first international match. Uh, do you remember who their international match was against? And bonus points if you get the score of it as well.
2: Oh, well, I think that's kind of cheating because I actually looked it up earlier today when I was <laughs> kind of preparing for the episode. But if if my memory serves me well, then it was a 1-4 loss against France. That's it, correct. Yeah.
1: Now look, if you've done your research, that's fair enough. Um uh, we always we always kind of like to try to ask questions and stuff like that. And to be fair, every guest that we've had on is being nearly actually they are being actually on point with everything. Uh they they always get the questions right. So uh no pressure um for, for later <laughs> on if I throw more actually or if Rory does. But um, they they went into the league that year, uh, but they finished a disappointing third out of four. So there was actually only four clubs in in that league competing, uh, which people will say, okay, that's not really a league. But back then, not only in Luxembourg, but in other countries around the world, I think we touched on it uh, in Mexico, for example, a British uh, club in Mexico only competing in a league with three or four um, and other countries as well. Um, only had leagues that had three or four clubs, so it wasn't uncommon. So, it's out and four. is
0: It's still a contest in the area. Yeah. It wasn't uncommon at all. There were there's numerous football associations across the world where they've just started off with a cup competition or some kind of knockout competition. They all still count. Um, I, I'm not like you know. I, I hate it when you see all these fans of the you know Premier League fanboys on Twitter who just. You know, go with this assumption that nothing existed before the Premier League in what was it nineteen ninety two or whenever, and that stats shouldn't count from before then. So you know, this this these were all over the world. Um, knockout competition. Some of them ended up becoming the uh, some of them ended up becoming the country's like domestic cup. So, for example, the Scottish Cup was one of the very first you know, kind of major national contests in Scotland. In fact, I, th- I think it was more or less the first and then there was a lot of regional cups that followed. So uh, this isn't something that's uncommon. Uh, it's something that we've touched on quite a lot as well. Mm.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, then they, uh, the league just didn't exist for a year again. Um, Again, reasons unknown. Uh, as you said, Ben, I think there was just a stopgap they, they just kind of tried to reorganise it uh, they did come back then in 1912-13 and Luxembourg actually got their first uh, win in uh, a friendly against um, you, you definitely know because you've already done the research it was actually against
2: France I imagine they probably played France a lot in the early days did they? Yeah just like when England played Scotland in all of the uh, first ever international games because of course uh, they were just closing up geographically and so that's why Luxembourg ended up playing Netherlands France and Germany Mm. Sometimes Belgium, whenever they played. Also, uh, for the previous point where you said that uh, all the new uh, football associations couldn't really uh, hold the competition with several teams at the beginning. And so that's why they have such a small number of teams uh, in those early years. It's also important to note that uh, the comparison to Mexico is very flattering indeed because Luxembourg has a population of uh, 650,000, if I remember well. So that's like the size of Sheffield. If, if I remember correctly. So that's the size of the country that you're working with. So just to have four teams up and running, uh, you know, get a lead uh, done every year, that's already quite some feet back in the 1910s, when uh, several countries didn't even have it all set up, yet, I think.
0: Definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um. It's a massive thing, and it's it must have been a, a a massive achievement for them as well. Um, I quite like the comparison you made there between how it was like uh, Scotland and England, or um, you know, Ireland and England, and, and other stuff, just based on on geography. So, as whenever, uh, Luxembourg and France play each other in international competitions today, is it seen as like a big rivalry? Is is that something that's always kind of persisted?
2: Of course, unfortunately, these are ivory. Of course, I'm saying unfortunate because whoever Luxembourg face, they, they are still not considered a favorite. Sure. But uh, actually, a couple of years ago, they got a nil drop in a qualifying section. So that was like a huge upset. And that's like getting one over them finally after yeah. all those losses. Because, of course, it's a delicate situation from one point of view, because when you lose to France, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, yeah. you know, we're a small country. We're literally smaller than like 10 of your cities, <laughs> on the other hand. On the other hand, if you only lose by one, or if you get a scummy draw or, or like a 1-0 win, then it's already something to brag about and something to, to tell the French about and let them know just who the better one is in the region.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's it's always fun. I mean, I remember two years ago, it would have been now when Scotland played England in, uh, in Euro 2020 or Euro 2021, whatever you would like to call it. And, uh, you know, obviously Scotland, you know, everyone was, all the English pundits were saying, oh, England will put five past Scotland tonight, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it we'll finished an L 0 drop, but there were points where we could have won it. And, like, we had a party, man. Like, it was great. You take what you can get in some of these games where you're considered to be the underdog. And as you said, more often than not, 99% of the time, Luxembourg are, are unfortunately considered the underdog in, in a lot of these international games. So, um, yeah, you, you celebrate every every result that you're able to get.
2: Honestly, yeah, like, <laughs> there's an attitude of that there's nothing to lose. There's no expectations before a game, uh, but that has changed in past couple of years. Actually, of course, that doesn't mean we don't celebrate win, but it's like uh, it's kind of realistic. Like like you just start to look forward to the games more because uh, you're not just gonna witness the 11 best players in Luxembourg, but you're actually gonna see some quality play on show, mm-hmm. and and so that they might get some of the big guys. And they actually beat Turkey and uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina this year and last year, respectively. So there is progress. And sure. now they've got, they've got every chance to make it to the Euro 2024 because, uh, as I've said, they've beaten Bosnia. They've beaten uh, the last spot team, whoever it was in the group. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on that one. That's okay. They also, they also drew with Slovakia. And they have Portugal and Iceland to play. Uh, actually, they lost. To Portugal by massive amount, but that doesn't really matter because of course Portugal will qualify in first place. Yeah. Really just Iceland to beat, and then a point or two against Slovakia and Bosnia and Herzegovina, and they're really in contention. So it's really encouraging so far.
0: Yeah, well we hope to see you there. And uh correct me if I'm wrong, but would it be right saying that throughout the kind of football and history of Luxembourg, particularly when it came to the national team? There's always been this kind of issue with dual citizenship where a number of players would rather declare for other nations. Am I thinking of someone else or is is, is that about right?
2: Uh sorry, uh what, what do you mean? So when
0: you know there, I suppose it differs depending on the, the FA, but basically if there's a player that comes up through the through the ranks in Luxembourg and you know they're incredible when it comes to them moving to a club outside of Luxembourg, they'll maybe go elsewhere, but then they'll get to maybe a top five league uh, and then they will maybe have something, you know, an issue with dual citizenship. So they'll maybe have, they'll maybe be Luxembourgish and also French, for instance, and then they can declare yeah. for France. Has that been an issue or is that something that I've just made up or, or or am I thinking of another national team?
2: You know, it still is an issue and it does happen every once in a while. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it happened with one of the biggest stars that could have been for Luxembourg, which is Miralem Pjanic, the well-known Bosnian midfielder, who, who spent his entire childhood in Luxembourg. Of course, he's, he's a child of Bosnian parents, so it's kind of understandable why he went for them after having performed good enough to be called up for them as well. But it was frustrating to see him play uh, at the 17 under-19 level for Luxembourg, and then suddenly just switch when uh, the senior part came around and then of course, free kicks against Luxembourg at other games. So, of course, it was of course a little bit of a personal revenge to get one over him when we played Bosnia and won in June. It was nice to to show him that there is a change of guards and we might actually be Bosnia, Bosnia level at this point. And so he could have reconsidered his future back then.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's been an issue for a few other nations as well. I mean, obviously with a number of African nations in France as well, um. Sometimes you know we'll often get uh, English players who have Scottish grandparents. They'll come, which is fine. Uh, I have absolutely no issue with it whatsoever. Um, and I never have. Um. Sometimes you'll get other. I mean, I don't think there's been any cases of Scottish players declaring for England because they have not like maybe an English parent or something like that. Um. But yeah, I, I can imagine it, it would be a, a bit of an issue for 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 Luxembourg, and as you said, their um pianage. Pianitch- Probably being the most notable one. So, uh, yeah, I know I didn't make it up. I know I got it somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I remember seeing uh, you, bands having a conversation with um somebody on Twitter about it. Uh, would that be correct?
2: Yeah, it, it comes up sometimes, of course, when I'm tweeting about Bosnia or, or Chifflange, because that's Bianch's hometown club and they've just made it up to the top division for the first time in 23 years. So, it's an absolutely huge. Uh, celebration for them and then the great period of uh, a possible golden era, Pjanic still has ties to that club and actually sent them a video message on Instagram before the season came around. So it was nice to see that he, he still uh, remembers his roots and is still grateful for his Luxembourgish bringings, even though he ended up choosing Bosnia Indians. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it does happen. Um, off the top of my head, I can't. Well, actually, I can't think of two uh, that happened at Ireland. Um, but we won't. Uh, I won't mention them two uh, players, <laughs> and Um <Grealish Royce. clears throat> um But uh, yeah, it does happen, unfortunately. Um, but um, in in relation to Racing Club uh, Luxembourg events, um, obviously I've, I've gone through quite early days and stuff like that. Then obviously, as we've mentioned many a times on, on the on the show world wars happen uh and and things like that start to affect football in europe um what in regards to luxembourg um to be honest i don't know much about the history you know the social history and stuff like that um were they affected uh, big time by the world war 1 and then obviously world war 2
2: uh world War uh one yeah they were affected to some extent but it wasn't as pronounced because of course as i've said they really uh didn't take a shape uh, in terms of having a solid uh, amount of teams to compete every year. So when a team withdrew from one season, it wasn't known whether it's just the usual uh, whatever reason they had, mm. or whether it was because of the World War 1. Uh, Luxembourgish weren't strictly involved in that one. But World War 2 did have a really serious effect on teams, uh, as many teams uh, had to get renamed. The competitions did uh, get on, so it, it didn't stop in the end. But Germany invaded Luxembourg in 1940, so the four years from then on were uh, quite chaotic as Luxembourgers were also uh, called up to the army, the German army. So they didn't really have much of a choice, and of course that affected the league a bit more heavily and resulted in unexpected teams winning the championships because there really was a lot to do for the clubs to to manage that situation. Of course, as you would expect.
1: Yeah, yeah, we touched on it in the last episode when um I think we we were talking about um a, a club in Italy won the league, but they were they were quite I can't remember. Rory, do you remember the club that won it? Um, they've only won it once or something like that. Was yeah, it, um, Spezia? Spezia,
0: Spezia, yeah, Spezia. So they they won the team quite famously. The the team were made up, I think, of a group of local firefighters. Fire, yeah, that's it. They yeah. won the league, and
1: everybody else is decimated. decimated.
0: Yeah, you know they have the little. Sort of skedaddle thing, and and I think um Adrian as well was saying that their fat it's something that their fans are very very proud of, and obviously other fans of other teams would say, well, no, like it was during the war, everyone else's teams were decimated because the the players were going off to fight in various different factions. So how can you say that you truly won it? But. I mean, I, I don't. This is the thing, and this is where the, the debate comes in because if the FA says that it's fine, or you know, the FIGC in Italy, or, or whatever they're called, then um, I don't know what much else you can say, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Bence, uh, going back to racing club, Luxembourg, uh, we'll get off uh, social activities that happen in Europe. Um, <laughs> do you want to continue on then with the, with the history? So, we, we've gotten up to basically the 19. 19- 20s there Um, and as we've mentioned they are quite a complicated football club and so do you want to do you want to continue on there
2: uh yeah i'm fine to continue so basically i think there's one thing that has to be noted about racing club that hasn't already uh is that they were the ones who won the first luxembourgish championship and the first luxembourgish cup season in 1921-22 So that's, I think, kind of unique double in Europe. i never actually looked it up, but uh, there were 13 years uh, between uh, the two competitions and Steel Racing ended up winning both despite not being the only powerhouse in the nation. Um, They they had one major rivals, Sporting Club Luxembourg, who, as luck would have it, they ended up merging with uh, the two big rivals in the capital city. Uh, And until until that point, it really was... uh, uh, I don't know. I think a kind of a roller coaster for for racing. did great sometimes, and had other titles uh, before. Uh, yeah, before the cup win and after their first league title, but they weren't always near the top. So the, uh, of course, some of the clubs were founded in the 1910s because it was a time when most of the traditional Luxembourgish clubs came about and, and started setting up and competing. So that meant uh, a bit of a decline in writing glibspotions as well
1: yeah yeah I mean I, I, it's quite a big chapter this one in the book uh, I remember it uh, but it had to be you couldn't really uh, leave anything out because if you did it, it probably wouldn't connect properly um, yeah. but it's a really what,
0: interesting story as well just, just with everything that, that happens as well so um, I think the listeners will understand by the end why why it was such a big chapter but I think it was good that it was a big chapter as well um, because it, it manages to get everything in it tells a full mm-hmm. story like you were saying
1: yeah, hundred um, percent. And and throughout it, you get you get a sense of all the different Luxembourg uh, clubs in Luxembourg. Um, like you mentioned, plenty of them, umbens, which we'll probably go through uh, and talk about as well. But uh, so uh, you're saying then, 1921, 19, they won the first uh, league, uh, and then it was thirteen years later they won their first cup,
2: was it? Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting because uh, by the time they won the cup, they had already been relegated once. So that means by nineteen twenty two there was a second division in Luxembourg already in place. Hmm. Uh and they won that uh by a perfect record, fourteen out of fourteen games won. And in the same season managed to to win the first Coupe de Luxembourg competition, of course, that's the main, uh got like the equivalent of the FA Cup. So that that's how they achieved uh this strange double winning the second division and the Cup in the same year.
1: Now, um, we're we're getting to we're nineteen uh, twenties. As, as you said, they, they won they won the league and stuff like that. Um, that's when the merger happened, though, wasn't it? Um, so that was with their big rival. It was in nineteen twenty three. They merged uh, with their big rival. Uh, now there's there's one thing that I quite found quite interesting that you wrote in this book, and uh, it's just something that I picked out. The Minnows' Capital. Um, that's what. What that's what you call the Luxembourg? What? What's is that? What it's known as, or is that is that something? Um, that you just came up
2: with? Uh, no, no, it's, it's uh, it's a good question actually. I think I came up with it, but I might have seen some references to it. Not a lot, so it's not a common name per se. But I, I've seen someone call it that before. I think. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, um, because look, Luxembourg isn't a big country. We know that there's no getting away from that. Um, but obviously, uh, it still has you know enough room to have two, maybe more clubs, um, in its capital. But uh, let's get let's get to the merger. Um, so two rivals, uh, as you said, um, merged together and created one club. Uh, can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so it was a result of heated discussions as local reports said from from uh back in the nineteen twenties. When I think the reason like it wasn't quite specified and it's still not exactly known even now, but usually these mergers back then took place because one team had uh, a much better pitch than the other one. And there just weren't many pitches in Luxembourg back then. So as to avoid uh the difficulty of scheduling games and that they decided to just come up with a solution that uh, could put the supporters in, in the better pitch and make them watch uh, a better quality play than, uh, I don't know, having to attend two, uh, two different stadiums. So that's why racing merged with sporting as well. And so their name, the new club's name, was Out Luxembourg. Of course, uh, the first three letters taken from sporting and the first two from racing. I uh, like that.
0: <laughs> just like a combination of the names it's class like it a lot
2: exactly they combined the colors as well because racing had been a blue team and sporting the yellow so they played in blue and yellow uh and it didn't go well with fans at all as you would imagine of course like uh it's like merging manchester united and manchester city on a much bigger level of course and bigger scale but it's the same sort of thing they were main rivals they were most of the titles in luxembourg up until that point and then uh the board city club suddenly just announced that they were going to merge together so it took some times for the fans to sink in, but I think the club are way better off with it, and then we're going to see it later when 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 we look at sports history in more detail.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you you go on then to say that it actually was a kind of um blessing in disguise this this uh kind of merger, uh, because they actually did have a successful um era, if you like, um. Tell us about that. How, how did the merger... So, obviously, the two sets of fans aren't happy, but I suppose there's not much they could do about it. Um, Although, what was there... Like, I mean, back in the 1920s, obviously, we were never... We weren't around. But would there have been maybe talk of setting up their own fan-owned clubs, or would they not just not have had the resources to do that and they just had to settle with this new club?
2: Uh, they were all fan-owned clubs, and uh, there are never really discussions of... of changing uh, that structure up or, or anyone buying a club at that point. I think it just wasn't viewed as uh, having the potential to, to actually generate resources for anyone to be worth it, because uh, Luxembourgish football still isn't professional up to this point. Mm. So it'd be, I think it'd be, uh, I don't know, just not a wise decision economically. Uh, it'd be a bit of a money burner, really, if you invest in Luxembourgish football right now. So they were all fan-owned clubs, and so they didn't really have a choice when they ran out of money. They either had to watch their teams go uh, bankrupt and just cease to exist, or turn to sometimes their biggest enemies or whoever was the closest to them geographically, because that's the most sensible move, of course, to, to merge two teams. And so, however disappointed fans could have been, it was still the best choice for both teams if, if we look into. Uh, the situation it, it probably wasn't easy for them financially to manage that period after the first world war
0: yeah it's really like a sink or swim type scenario and I suppose you know this this is again is something we've spoken about before when clubs merge and, and the impact they can have on fans in terms of identity and uh, you know the fans of those clubs don't have that kind of shared heritage that comes with supporting a select football team so there's all that to consider as well um, and I don't I don't want to make it seem like um, uh, you know that, that I'm ignoring that or anything but I suppose what would the fans have rathered would they have rather to support no football club or would they rather have supported a football club at the very least that was stronger financially stable and viable and had a chance to compete in a better level. So I suppose that's what has to be asked. But again, you know, I don't want to go and overshadow the other issues because they are very important as well. So it's one of those ones. Um, like I said, it's it's either a, you know, sink or swim.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, the club, uh, uh were relatively successful in their first three seasons. They came uh, second place in the first three seasons behind three separate clubs. Now I'm going to mention these clubs. I think. I think Fowler, Ash are still still around. Is that correct?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They are the biggest club historically. Yeah. In they McDavid are the first ones to be founded in the country as well.
1: Yeah, so, so. They,
2: they are. Yeah, so they are part of this pioneers club. I think there's uh, some sort of grouping uh, in European football yeah. where the first club from each association belongs, and Fowler Ash is in there. I don't know what it actually is because they like. They don't have any real connections to that teams. They don't play friendlies or, or donate money yeah. or do any events together. But like they are parts of that Bionese, uh club. Yeah, it's stuff. a group. Um, I think
1: uh, it was started by Sheffield FC. Um, I think in England they kind of kind of add clubs like that. Um, the first club of each each country are are a part of it. I think I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think. Bohemians might be part we're here in Ireland. Uh, yeah, with, it would be Queen's
0: uh, Park for us. Yeah,
1: like so there is that group. You're dead right, Ben. Uh, there is a group. They don't play friendlies or anything like that. It's just a kind of select group of uh, football clubs. It would be an interesting uh, tournament, though, if they did have it. Uh, I was going to say, that's, a, that's absolutely mental. Surely that would be a serious money spinner. Why are they not playing friendlies with each other? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it is a thing. Yeah. So uh, Fola Esh won, won one of the leagues. Uh, U.S dual launch are they still around
2: no unfortunately uh they also merged with someone else and, and that someone else merged with that someone else and that resulted in the current did launch team that played in the europa league yeah. a few years ago so yeah it, it was a long complicated story just like this will be yeah
1: yeah i kind of i kind of recognize the dual launch name and then the last club red boys Different. i don't know if i pronounce that right
2: are they still mm-hmm. around I know that that was another part of, of uh, merger history. There is still a club in the fed Orange right now, and they also play in red and black, but they were formed in 2003 as a result of, of their merger. So that's where their history starts, broadly speaking. But of course, we you know, it's, uh, it's always uh, more complicated than that.
1: Okay, okay. So we we've gone through three other clubs there. Uh, as I said, we will be mentioning other Luxembourg clubs. And um, but uh, let's continue on with um, Racing Club Luxembourg. So they come third in their, or come second in their first three seasons against these clubs. Uh, we're going into the nineteen thirties now. Um, how how are they going, Vince? Uh, what's 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 it looking like for them?
2: Uh, it, it was a great period, a uh, sort of golden era for them, because they were the only ones who were able to deliver that sort of consistency year in year out. Because you've just mentioned three different teams that won the championship above them. Of course, that that's nice, but sport are the ones who were always in the top two, so always contesting uh, for the biggest prizes. So that that's how they became the number one powerhouse in Luxembourg, basically. I think, yeah, you know, that's why I found on it. I think when I when I researched the article.
1: Yeah, I think uh, as well they they uh, while dominating the league, the domestic league season the cup as well they they were regular finalists and stuff like that and that uh, they did lose I think though three finals uh, in five years I believe um I think that's and but they did win three consecutive national division titles um so they were quite successful. Uh, 30s. Then we go into the 40s. I think we've already kind of mentioned that uh, the World War kind of happens around this period of time. Uh, clubs are, are decimated. Luxembourg itself is uh, in the centre of it all. Uh, Germany obviously invades. We all know what happened in World War II. Um, but they come out of it 19... I think World War II ended in 1945. Uh, obviously... Europe is, is trying to recover itself. Um, how does Luxembourg football uh, recover itself? We're, we're going into the 50s now. Uh, how How is it looking? I know it's probably not professional it's probably still lagging way behind other countries, but how, how are we looking and how is racing uh, club Luxembourg
2: looking in the 50s? Uh, yeah, well, in the 50s, it was a little bit bleak, but it actually didn't take that long until Luxembourg stopped lagging behind other nations because in the 60s, they were already, uh, already able to produce European-level stars, I think star might actually be a bit of a stretch because we've never heard about these people ever since. But uh, there's this striker, for example, Liam Nuremberg, who scored a hat-trick for Nice against Real Madrid in the first European Cup. I think it was the final, might not have been, but still a hat-trick against Real in the European Cup is quite massive. And he, he was a player who later came back to Spora as a player manager and won the league in two consecutive seasons. That, uh, that was actually the major bounce back from Spora after World War II because it took more than a decade for them to find their feet again after kind of losing their spirits in World War II, which nobody can really be blamed about.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. The, the one big result, though, is that, that I uh, as well picked out, like, I mean... It, it, you just mentioned there uh, uh, that little bit of information, but then they actually did uh, uh, qualify for Europe after winning the league, and they faced Dortmund in what was it seemed like a bit of a, 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 a maniac, maniac uh, uh, kind of match. Uh, they drew five all on aggregate, Um they they lost four three um, away. Then they won two one, so it was five all in aggregate. Now in the rules that uh, that used to be, I I think in European football there's no away goals anymore. Um, but in the rules that you know, only recently they would have actually knocked out Dortmund. However, back then there was no away goals, so they had to play a third game, uh, which they actually got hammered seven nil. Um, so I don't know what happened there. Maybe Dortmund kind of up their game, I'm not too sure, but uh, that that would have been something. Five all aggregate uh, with with Brucey e. Lortman, that has to be one of the the best results in Luxembourg European club football history. Would it be correct?
2: Yeah, that that's still outstanding, definitely. Uh like even when a team from Luxembourg hosts a club of Dortmund stature, that's already already considered a milestone, like a huge showpiece occasion that they once played a big team. It's not even about the results usually. It's just that they memorably played Real Madrid once or Milan once, and it's it's always uh, in, I don't know, in brackets or just, uh, I don't know, kind of forgotten about or not really talked about that they ended up losing that game by seven or eight doors, because that's another different story altogether. It's just a feat that they ho- uh, host these major themes and play 90 minutes against superstars, which really matters in Luxembourgish mm. press. So, of course, to, to achieve a draw, with worst Dortmund uh absolutely unbelievable and, and still hasn't been forgotten over the country when the biggest european results have brought up yeah I was gonna ask uh,
1: uh, obviously it hasn't been forgotten that 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 is uh, it does sound like a big result like i mean i can only compare it to where uh, here in Ireland, at town played a c Milan uh, in the UEFA Cup I think it was or maybe it could be the total but it was a European game anyway over here uh, there's famous pictures of the AC Milan team turning up uh, in that and in, in Basie it was like a, a bog um, <laughs> they're getting out of the team bus and it's just mud all over the place um, I think they, they lost 1-0 at home or it was nil all sorry uh, in the home fixture uh, it's one of those that is like, a, you know, a real famous uh, kind of result in Irish domestic football. Um, but um, Racing Club Luxembourg, as, as we'll call them, obviously they're not known as that now. Um, they then went through a bit of a spell. Now, they did qualify for European uh, uh, UEFA Cup competitions and stuff in the 60s. But they didn't win the league for quite some time. Uh, from the, the, the Sorry, they only won the league twice, pardon me. Um, in between nineteen fifty six and two thousand and five. So, what happened there, Ben? Did it just what like uh, they went from like you know, saying their their powerhouses of Luxembourg football to only winning two titles in effectively forty years? And um, what happened?
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that you mentioned that four decades. It's, it's a huge time frame, so it's really. Uh, hard to talk about as one uh, big component that affected them. So let's break it down into pieces. Yeah, because I, I think one of the major takeaways from it is that in the first period of that era, from nineteen fifty nine to nineteen seventy two, the capital of Luxembourg was still able to uh, celebrate uh, fifteen titles, leagues and cups in those thirteen years. So it was it was a majorly successful era for the city, just not for the team who who were always. Uh, second best usually and beaten by their rivals who, were of course, results from other mergers in the city. Uh, So that that wasn't really their most successful period, partly because they ended up selling their best players every year, every other year, because that was the year that I mentioned, the 60s, when the best Luxembourgish footballs ever came around, possibly. Uh, And I'm talking about players that played a decade or so in French. Like, I don't know, best teams were Strasbourg, Nice, I think in the year-end and Luxembourgish footballers were usually the best French teams, at least one or two of them. So, of course, Pora, who had a decent-ish academy, but also tended to uh, not be able to lure uh, the players, you know, that that were so talented, to long-term contracts, but instead had to let them go to to bigger French clubs to achieve their dreams. They Mm -hmm. found themselves lagging behind other teams who perhaps had a bit less talented uh, players but those players were at least not in the spotlight, so they could manage to keep them for longer. And actually, that means one of the biggest uh, drawbacks for Spora was that they had such a great squad that <laughs> foreign clubs paid attention to it and uh, regularly poached the biggest talents. So That was uh, part of the reason why, why they weren't successful enough. And as for, as for the other reasons, uh, there were other teams that could be mentioned uh, Aris Bonvois was uh, one of the teams that challenged Spora regularly in the 60s and then basically dipped forever. So that that was really, uh, I don't know, kind of surprising and interesting to, to read about their history. They were kind of new then and they just uh, kept winning lead titles and cup titles until something stopped and they never again uh, won any piece of silverware until they also merged with someone in 2001 and they also merged into Spora in 2005, and so that club is still around. Yeah. They're called Race, uh, Racing uh, Union Luxembourg right now, but we'll get to that later, really. Uh, yeah. It's just a broad history lesson for all of the clubs and all these branches and family trees of clubs in Luxembourg that have resulted over, over the decades.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it kind of mirrors what happens in Ireland here. Uh, our best players basically go to... Uh, uh, our best players from league of Ireland clubs would go to england uh, because the money because bigger clubs and stuff like that so I can imagine same thing happening to luxembourg uh, clubs the best players are going to france germany uh, you know cl- countries uh, right beside them bigger bigger football na- so called bigger football nations uh, if you like and um, just to touch on that we uh, you know they didn't obviously win silver but they did qualify for uefa cup um i suppose the 1960s um th- Maybe this is where kind of uh, other nations do start pulling away, or, or I don't know. Um, but results would suggest that because they did get fairly hammered by other clubs. Um, I think there was a 15-2 aggregate knockout by um Club Bruges and Anderlecht, um, and then they got beaten 12-0 on aggregate by a Danish side called uh Bold Clubbing. Um, so I, I like they're 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 quite significant losses. so in Europe, they didn't. They didn't really make any inroads uh, either. Um, I mean, at this point, uh, Luxembourg football is still amateur. Would it be, or would it be semi-professional?
2: It was still, it was still amateur, and I, I believe it was amateur until up until the eighties or nineties, when uh, a bit more money uh, was finally invested into the clubs. It was still not a major amount. Of play, of course, they'll have to play part-time jobs even now. But, but that was when they made the switch. So, so back when sporter wasn't so successful, as you mentioned, in the 70s and 80s, it was partly because they couldn't give full-time contracts to their best players, unlike clubs in the neighbouring countries. They're all professional, up until uh, the lower divisions.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, then they, they obviously um, won a few Cups, which uh, got them into the what was known as the European Cup Winners' Cup. Um, and uh, they actually lost to another side, uh, do you know what oil side that was Spence I'm putting you on the spot
2: oh it's really hard no I'm not going to say something stupid so no I'm blanking on this one to okay sham crows they lost
1: to sham crows in the european cup winners <laughs> cup um, it was an easy guess then it was really yeah, easy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean look there's not very many to pick to be honest um but uh, it was in in the it was around the um I think it was around the eighties, nineties. They, they lost. I, I'd imagine it was the nineties, probably. Um, but they they lost the uh, Shamrock Rovers at one stage. Um, we will get on to the kind of Luxembourg Irish connection. Uh, later on. Um, there has been a few. Um, club level and of the international level. But um, so you're saying then in the uh, the early two thousands, they merged once again uh, into the clubs that we know of today. Do you want to continue on with that then?
2: Uh, perhaps I could introduce uh, one the only real competitor of, of Spora at the time, mm. all through these eras these that we've talked about. It's Union Luxembourg, and they have a really similar history to racing because their, their own merger happened only two years after racing, so they started off at pretty much the same uh, time in the same year, and they, they went to compete and, and rival Spora's achievements for really long, until you've mentioned that Sport just stopped winning, and Union featured many of the national team's best players and were able to step out to the European stage uh, in in more years than not. And I think the 80s and 90s are mainly about uh, Union, and that's what Luxembourgish football history chronicles usually say as well, that they were the biggest traditional team if they were sometimes uh, picked to the title because uh, there, there were no eras where only one club dominated the, the whole league for years. I think that's part of the magic of, of Luxembourgish football. Uh, there were no really long spells where, where a team won 10 in a row or something, but Union were always up there, even when Sporo went down second division and came back uh, in the, those years, Union stayed successful. So I think that also contributed to why Sporo's trophy cabinet uh, kind of dried up and stayed locked uh, for decades at some point.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, a league where uh, a club wins nine in a row titles sounds quite boring, to be honest.
0: <laughs> Listen, you are just jealous that you don't support a successful team. I, I get this. I see all the time on Twitter, other fans from Scottish football saying, "Oh, it must be boring winning all the time." sharp it's not boring winning all the time. Like, have a word of yourself. <laughs> However, I will agree. I will uh, give it to Ben. That so it, it does. It sounds more. I can imagine from an outsider looking in. it would be a lot more interesting if there wasn't one or two clubs just winning absolutely everything and I think that's something that could be a serious draw for people to to football in Luxembourg uh, is the fact that as you said there's no being huge spells where one team has dominated Uh, it can be really really open sometimes Um, I think that's something that not a lot of leagues throughout Europe have and it's something that makes it really really Mm -hmm. exciting
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, obviously, I mentioned Scotland, but I mean, other leagues in in Europe, uh, you know, England, I suppose, Man City are dominating now. Um, You have Shaman Grovers could be winning four in a row. They win four this year here in Ireland. Um, You then have, you know, PSG basically dominating France. Uh, The same clubs, I think only four clubs in Portugal have ever won the league. Um, It could be five, um, but usually the same between Porto, Benfica, uh, it's usually between them too. Sporting Lisbon kind of come into it. Then you have Holland, where it's always PSV, Ajax and uh, Feyenoord. Um,
0: is it all like? Is it all red? Is it
1: Red Star Belgrade
0: in Serbia? Maybe I think haven't lost a home game in about three years coming yeah. up to the season and, something like that, and they've won every title for the last eleven. Yeah. Like you know, so um, it's it's actually becoming more and more rare for there to be leagues within Europe where. It's it's open and that any team can really take it. I mean, obviously Scotland Scotland hasn't seen a a title in outside of the old firm since I think 1982, 1983. So, uh, you know, with the the gap is just getting bigger and and you know, I, I doubt that's that's going to happen again for a long time. So, um, I think that's something that that is a really really attractive pool to any leagues out there that still have more than more than just two teams competing for it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think Ben, you, you definitely uh, have shown us there about Luxembourg football how um, competitive it is. I suppose compared to other football leagues, and I suppose that's definitely a draw to it. And um, so we're we're in two thousand. So we have this kind of new merger and stuff like that. We're in two thousand and five and stuff like that. Um how have they done since then?
2: Uh, well, well, since then, I have to say, Racing Union uh, haven't been a real uh I don't know uh, uh the real big guns are uh, in Luxembourgish football. They haven't won the league title they They won a cup in 2017, eighteen so that, that's not too bad. They're always in the top half of, of the first division, but that's about as far as it gets uh with their current successes. uh Unfortunately, there was uh kind of a major financial problem altogether in Luxembourgish football around the millennium. Because uh, in the years leading up to it, uh, as I've already mentioned, Union's successes in the 1980s, 1990s kind of prompted all the other ambitious clubs to also live up uh, to those standards and sign players on part time contracts. Because what I've said, uh, Luxembourg became part time uh, profession, I mean, professional, semi professional league in the 90s. So, it kind of backfired after about 10 years and the teams had to restrict themselves, restrict the budgets, let go of a lot of players. And that was when the second wave of mergers came around about 2000. And part of it was for us merging with Union. So once again, the two rivals, the two traditional capital teams, and that's why they are now called Racing Union Luxembourg, that team. Uh, I've actually talked about uh, the topic with one of the players, Spora, who played there in the last years, in the last season as well, actually. Uh, Alen Dousbasic, he, he was a midfielder for the team. I hope I pronounced his name well. So he told me a couple of interesting things about how the club handled it. And he said some players didn't receive any sort of communication from the team about where their futures would lie or whether they would be contracted to a new club or broke over. So it resulted in a lot of free agents and players moving around, trying to find the club in the first division or second division at least. But of course, I've had to settle for grassroots football for the next couple of years. And it was a great uncertainty that's resulted in Spora getting relegated in the last game in their history, unfortunately, by a 1-5 loss at a crucial time. It was, I think it was a relegation playoff or that sort of thing, when I think Luxembourg League was set up like the Scottish League right now where uh, the league just split into two halves and then it was like uh, a crucial game for survival which a lost in the last uh, round of games 5-1 and that was the end of it that's when they saw each other last time and the merger only became official during the game during that last game at halftime plays with all that there was really no point fighting or, or no point trying to stay up because it was already uh, done and dusted the deal had gone through it was decided that they were no longer a football club technically and that's how they had to play forty-five minutes, and that's how they conceded all the goals, and went down eventually.
1: So, so they were actually a football club playing a match, and they weren't actually a football club. That's quite a, that's quite an achievement, and um, but uh, it, it it is really amazing. So you have two rivals back in the the twenties who both merged together, two big rivals, and the next of all, you have. Two big rivals merging again in the early two thousands. Um, so it's it's it it really is a kind of a, an amazing story, really, by by one club. Um, let's get back to modern times. Uh, so you're saying that they're not a, a kind of big hitter at the moment. Um, football in Luxembourg at the moment. Um, with with the introduction of the Europa Conference League, um. They're obviously getting a, a, a more of a chance to kind of showcase themselves, the football clubs um from there. Uh they 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 have more of an opportunity to play in your uh, Euro, European action. Uh obviously my club St. Pat's uh fell fell to a Luxembourg club, uh Dulunch. Um so what's your view on Luxembourg clubs in Europe now? What's what's the state of Luxembourg football now? Do you see Has there been any recent mergers? Will there be any more mergers? Or is everything kind of stabilised because of European football bringing more kind of money into it?
2: It does bring more money. And there are uh, important uh, people in France and Luxembourg, uh, wealthy entrepreneurs who have done a lot for Luxembourgish football in terms of financing the academies or the clubs taking over them and uh, just building them up, giving professional contracts to the best players. And now Luxembourg are actually able to deliver players from the French lower division, giving them equal wages or, or even higher, of course, and presenting them with a the chance to compete in Europe. Uh, actually, just this season, the one of the European qualified clubs this season, signed... To Argentinians and the Costa Rican, or from their domestic leagues. So oh. none of those players had ever played in Europe before. <laughs> so it's kind of a strange scouting mission. I don't know how that works. I don't know how their scouting department actually looked at those players, or, or whether they were able to compile an accurate report for them. But
0: it's, a- it's okay. Something something similar happened to Dundee. Uh, they're obviously back in the Scottish Premiership this season. I think they signed uh, they signed a player from Mexico, a striker. Um, I think his name's Perales maybe I can't remember. Um, and about two days later, they got linked to another Mexican player, same league. And I thought, was it the same team? I think I can't remember if it was the same team or the same league. Um, it was definitely the same league, maybe the same team as well. And uh, they were like, oh, this is class. Obviously, our, our scouting department's working. It turns out it was nothing to do with the scouting department. They had just asked the striker they'd brought in, or oh, is there any other players that you'd recommend? And he basically just told them his best mate so that he could fly him over and have him play for Dundee and stay in Scotland. Mental.
2: <laughs> I, I can imagine something similar happening here by of course because I, I can't. I uh, see myself. Just I, I don't know. I can't see the situation unfolding where those guys say, "Oh yeah, there's some talented lads," but they play in the Argentinian second division, which we watch every week, of course. I don't know how that could have happened. So.
0: I mean, that's that. That's the thing. I mean, the the Argentinian second tier isn't isn't a terrible standard as well. Like that, that seems like. Would, would you? I don't know if you'd agree with with me. Would you say that seems like quite a coup for for a club from Luxembourg or?
2: uh yeah, it, it's not too bad, I think, because, uh, yeah, we've signed from uh, much lower divisions before, of course. But now it's, it's improved a lot lately, really, and now we get players from the German third divisions, sometimes second. Uh, just now, Swift-Espel signed one of the best uh, players in the league, probably, Rashid Alioui. He's a striker who played for Morocco several times, so former international. Plays for Angers in the French top division a couple of years ago. And he's still only 31, I think. So plenty of years in him. Uh, Last year, Dudelange signed, I think his name was Manuel Lacosta, something like that. He played at the 2018 World Cup with Morocco as a centre-back. He had played for Olympiacos before and Red Star, Belgrade, maybe it was. I don't know, a couple of European teams. Uh, Unfortunately, he suffered a major injury before the season and had to retire only weeks after signing for Dudelange. But it goes to show that Luxembourgish clubs now have the power and that's a lure, and uh, I don't know. They, I think they're just uh, good enough with the infrastructure and and financial details as well that they can show more established international European players that there is a chance for them to to come here, uh, and that of course applies to players from other continents. Like well, I've said, the Costa Rican international. Formerly, he played six games for Costa Rica, but never ever played in Europe. So now he's thirty-three. Of course, he probably sees. Uh, this is going to be his last chance and he wanted to see what the European dream is about in footballing terms I was like to to go abroad for European game probably qualifier which he he played at and the team wasn't too bad but uh, they ended up getting eliminated so it might stay uh, as his last uh, and first and last European game in his career
0: It's still great though I mean it shows uh, um, maybe just in the case of uh, did lunch, that they've, they've at least got a little bit of money to throw around and as you said Um, They're targeting players from different markets than other European nations uh, potentially would. Uh, They're looking at players who are maybe coming to the end of their careers and saying, you know, um, this could be your last chance for this or the next thing, or come here and see your years here, which is obviously a good thing. It's a tactic that's worked up here before in other nations as well. And, of course, into the bargain, they're going to be staying in a beautiful country as well, so why wouldn't
2: they? Yeah, exactly. And both, both of those strategies that you've mentioned uh teams going for uh these aging internationals and also going for the people that dropped out of the academies in in bigger countries those both work really well and they just kind of uh i don't know like complement each other because they are able to provide a good dynamic a good hierarchy within the squad and the aging place can also have the younger ones develop and actually uh I don't know, just go through uh, what well, they have to go through after being released from from those academies and the better nations, like what happened with Hesper last year. They recruited Rayon Philippe, who had previously played for Dijon's reserve team in France, but uh, wasn't ultimately considered successful enough. And then in Luxembourg, he went on to score, I think, 29 goals and 23 assists or something in 30 games. So that was absolute mad numbers. He was... Uh, the top goal contributor in Europe in the end, in all European top leagues, uh, just above Erling Haaland. So it was a tight competition all the way through last year. And then he got snapped up by a German second Bundesliga team, uh, Braunschweig, I think. So that that shows the young people as well that there is a chance for them to to come here and build themselves up, you know, like take one step back so they can take two forward in the end of the season if, if they do well and actually meet the expectations.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, as I said, Luxembourg football seems to be on the up. Um, it seems to have really developed it f- uh, and kind of got its act together and stuff like that. Um, from you know humble beginnings or, or where we we're talking about only four clubs competing and kind of, you know, one season being missed and stuff like that. Now they seem to have like a good structure in place. Um, so. In that regard, do you see any more mergers appearing on the horizon, or do you think we, we've seen the end of that for quite a while?
2: Well, actually, at lower leagues, it, it still is a presence, unfortunately. It's, it's hard to uh, swallow, I think, to support the deal because like no one uh, likes to see their favorite team disappear, of course. but it happens every year, unfortunately, well, most years at least. Uh, there was one last year, and I think that team has uh, has gone bust. then so it wasn't really a long-lasting merger they tried to probably uh save themselves at the last opportunity they thought it was uh i don't know feasible to actually salvage themselves as a team but in the end it proved uh not enough so Mm. they they went down and of course more of these can happen in the future because it's still a really small country that's packed with football clubs it's also important to know that about 90 percent of the football clubs are in the bottom half of the country, geographically in the southern part. Uh, that's where all the big cities are. Well, not cities, but towns, and the major places. And even in the first division, there's only one team from the northern half of Luxembourg. So it's, it's really strangely distributed. I think it compares to Iceland, where literally okay. all the clubs are in or around the capital and uh, the other places are basically uninhabited. So that, that's a similar structure here in Luxembourg and that's why
0: many of the yeah as i was just going to say it's not too dissimilar from scotland either cuz you've got i mean the majority of teams in scotland are around the central belt so kind of that strip of land you know that that bit between um glasgow and edinburgh kind of going up to stirling and down to uh, like south Lanarkshire and stuff but there's only one team from the highlands of scotland in the top tier and that's ross county cuz Aber- aberdeen isn't Always considered the Highlands. I'm, I'm a bit I've about saying that because some people feel quite strongly about it, but they're not really from the Highlands. Inverness are in the tier below. And then I don't think there are actually any other clubs from the Highlands in the Scottish pyramid system at the moment. Some from around Elgin and Forest and stuff like that, but none like actually kind of from Inverness and beyond. Uh, none from the Islands either. So I think that there's a bit of a disparity there as well. So it is quite interesting just how these clubs kind of pop up around major population centres and stuff.
1: Yeah, the same thing as in Ireland. I mean, only uh, last season it was all. I think the furthest southern club in in the League of Ireland was Shamrock Rovers, uh, in the Premier Division, which is Dublin. Um, so that was the f- uh, you know until Cork obviously came into it. Now Cork could get relegated uh, this season, and we we could be back to Shamrock Rovers being the most southern uh, football club in the Premier Division, and a lot of the clubs obviously revolve around Dublin. Um. In the Premier Division, there's obviously other clubs in the Fourth Division. Uh, so it is interesting uh, uh, that you said that. Iceland, yeah, uh, you would say that uh, most of the clubs um, revolve around Reykjavik, except for the club actually that's quite close to us uh, in heart, uh, Acuri, they're the ones that are up the north there. Um, and that's, that's why they actually merged that. That's their kind of story as we touched the two clubs in that uh, town uh, kind of merged together to take on the Reykjavik uh, clubs because they wanted the Northern Iceland uh, to kind of, um, you know, be a force to be reckoned with. But uh, they, they are actually doing well in Europe this year. Uh, K.A. Uh, Curry, I think that's what they're called now. Um, but uh, th- that that's quite interesting because uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that there'd be a big kind of geographical uh, thing with looks because it's such a small country and it's so central. But obviously the south is where everything is. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's all in certain, not just talk about football, but uh, of course, in a a demographic sense, uh, the whole country is uh, structured like that. And the northern parts are mostly just forests and hills. So that probably explains why there's not many clubs here. So the point I was getting to is that uh, exactly because of this structure, it means most of the clubs are close to each other. So that increases the chance of of them being merged if one of the clubs aren't in a financial situation to continue. And so it still happens, as I've said, even the current uh, first division clubs include ones that were founded in 2015 or 2005 as with Racing Club, uh, 2003. So it was uh, really most of them happened after the as I've already said, and it could happen anytime, really.
1: Yeah, it it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, look, we've covered many clubs. Uh, as you know, Ben's uh working on forgotten football clubs. You know that mergers don't always uh, work out. Uh, unfortunately, um, all around the world for whatever reasons. Um, I suppose just moving on from from uh the club scene to the, the international scene, which is definitely definitely popping off with uh, Luxembourg, as you know. Uh, the international setup there. They seem to have a plan. They seem to really be looking to qualify for the Euros. Uh, the Euros, pardon me. Um, what's your take on that? I know you. I know you're
2: quite, uh, you know, excited about it. Um, do you think they'll do it? I'm really enthusiastic about the topic, of course. Uh, I'm much more enthusiastic uh, than the club scene. And. Getting club into the Conference League—that's kind of a sensitive topic for now, so let's forget that. Hmm. Uh, talking about the Euros, there's there's a chance, as I've already said. If not now, then in four years' time or eight years' time, uh, the introduction of the Nations League helps a lot. Uh, naturally, like uh, I I don't quite actually grasp how how the whole method works because it's the I swear it's different every year, right? Mm-hmm. Right? The Nations League, like who qualifies where? Uh, I don't know what places are are given in the end because. Sometimes it gets you a World Cup qualifier place or a European championship qualifier, whatever it is like. Luxembourg just has to perform as good as possible and then hope for the best. Because as I've already uh, seen with some predictions, uh, we actually, they, they actually have a decent chance of, of making it to the playoffs at least, either straight through uh, the qualification system or through this other uh, second chance presented by the Nations League where Luxembourg continue to present themselves as a strong Division C outfit. And um, I think they have every chance to enter Division B in due time because they've really been building towards that and they've got the consistency. They've got a young group of players who are really exciting and play for some of the biggest clubs. We've got players in the Bundesliga. Uh, we had a player in the Championship last year with Norwich City in the Sinani. Unfortunately, he's been sold to the German second division now. But that's still not too bad. We've, we've got players in Austria, in the Dutch top division, uh, in the Belgian top division. So there's people to root for. And there's every reason to believe that this group of players can be the golden era of Luxembourgish football altogether. And they could be the first to make it to a major competition, whether it's the Euros or World Cup, no one knows yet
1: yeah I mean um, the Nations League is, is, is I think there's Twitter accounts that kind of explain how the Nations League uh, works like who can qualify from what and however um, but it definitely has helped smaller nations uh, so called smaller nations like Luxembourg and Scotland um, to, to qualify for major tournaments uh, definitely hasn't benefited Ireland in any way um, and we will probably struggle to qualify for anything but it'll definitely be uh, interesting I think they're second at the moment Moment, aren't you, in your group uh, for qualification um, after a big results beating Bosnia uh, which would have been a huge result
2: hmm. yeah, that, that was a high point for me uh, from the qualifiers, I didn't even think it was possible uh, it's still hard to believe and hard to have faith in the team and go into the game thinking alright this is ours to win or, or uh, that we have every chance there but still it's nice to see when uh, you get to watch the opposition defenders making those same silly mistakes that you've been used to watch Luxembourg mm. defenders do. It's like, they're also humans, they're not unbeatable. And if the pressing works, if the work rate is there within the team, and if the belief is there, then these games are absolutely winnable, even against Bosnia or Slovakia or Iceland, which mm. have been the national tournaments before. Because there's not a huge gap in quality of the squad. And they still tend to really underestimate Luxembourg so, it's always fun to read the comments on social media. As you have said, uh, no offence, it was a low point for Ireland, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, yeah.
1: It was a huge shock when, when you beat us at the Aviva. Now, to be honest, Irish, Irish fans had no right to think that we should be beating Luxembourg and... and... Gibraltar, you know, these smaller nations. Uh, the only reason we think that is because, you know, we we did have a golden era of, like, you know, Robbie Keane, Damien Duff, Roy Keane. We produced players that, have, you know, played in Champions League football and won Champions League things. But at the moment, um, we have no right to be, uh, you know, saying we're going to beat uh, countries like Luxembourg and stuff like that. And I, I did find it quite... Now, look, I... I you know, when when I support Ireland, when I go to their games, I do expect us to be, uh, countries like Luxembourg, Lithuania, Latvia, uh, Gibraltar. You know, you know, small smaller population nations. And um, but I also go into games when you know we're playing the Netherlands. Uh, uh, Sion and Cillian and I expect us to put it up to them. So I suppose I do expect us to be everybody as as any national fan does. But I think the disrespect that was given to Luxembourg when we lost that game. Um, there was more of oh how bad Ireland were than how good Luxembourg were, and I don't think that was fair on Luxembourg. I I I read all you know your your uh yeah. your Twitter account. I was following it, and I saw people, and I saw the rise in uh, followers you got from Ireland in, in that regard. And um, but um, it, it definitely was. It was a low point. But in saying that. I've I've seen lower like I mean we scored a last minute winner against San Marino at one point uh, years ago under Steve Stones, and that was quite low. We lost. We got hammered by Cyprus at home, uh, which I spoke about in this podcast um before. You know, so there has been there's been plenty of low points with uh and uh, Ireland. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. But, I get uh, that.
2: Don't Gerson me.
1: Fernandez will be a man that'll forever uh, be etched in my uh, memory. Uh, Amanda has gone on to play uh, with Ronaldo, hasn't he?
2: Uh, against Ronaldo against actually. Ronaldo pardon me. They, they played in the same league yeah. uh, he's actually gone from playing in the same league as Messi in Ligue 1 when, when Jason played for Troyes and Messi played for PSG and I kept counting the goals uh, trying to see if Jason can outscore Messi of course it was an objective for a couple of months <laughs> but then Messi just uh, skyrocketed and Jason stayed at like two goals and later kicked out from Troyes because of you know, the discipline uh, which has happened before and has since happened as well. So Jason then went on to play in Saudi Arabia, where Ronaldo plays. So I once again kept uh, tracking the goals, seeing if Jason can somehow beat Ronaldo to the title of the true GOAT, which he ultimately, of course, did not, because Ronaldo actually scored four goals against Jason's team. And Mm. that kind of sealed the debate. So I I just went quiet after that. And Jason has since been kicked out from that team, too, also, oh, disciplinary reasons. I think he just doesn't attend trainings. He goes uh, absent without uh, leave. So, yeah, he's. Uh, by he all means,
1: he's, he's a bit of a character, isn't he, Gerson Fernandez? Um, I've I've read i I've read a bit about him, obviously from from yourself, but I've also because of what he did against Ireland, uh, I'd say a lot of Irish fans, uh, kind of went and said, "Who is this lad?" Um, and he's a bit of a, a bit of a character, isn't he?
2: Yeah, he's, he's a difficult. You know, he he makes rap songs. He's, yeah. You get the impression that he's in football just for the vibes, just to play <laughs> for the fans. He does those flicks those extra skill moves, and it works for the national team where yeah. everything is around him and he's a source of creativity and uh, he's got that flair to make the team work. But on a club level, you are usually expected more than that. You are expected to help with the build up, help with the pressing work as a team. And Jess is just not a team player. He hates trainings. He hates showing up to everything. He hates showing commitment to a team and that's what has ultimately to him many, many times throughout his career. As I think he's seen like 12 clubs and he's 26 or 27. He's on a long move again in Turkey. Uh he's at a different club every year. And it's actually lucky if, if he only has one club in a year because uh none of the none of his managers really liked him. And he's always thrown out of uh, of those teams sooner or later because he just disrupts the the dressing room atmosphere which is really a shame because uh, judging by his talent, he could be one of the best Luxembourgish footballers right now. Too.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just having a look at some of the other uh, players here because when you mentioned it about five or ten minutes ago, I wanted to see if any uh, Luxembourgish players had were uh, were in Scotland at the moment. There isn't any, uh, and I was just looking kind of through the years. I don't think there's been any. I don't know if there ever has been any in Scotland, to be honest with you. There certainly hasn't been any prior to, or, or between, since 1997, it looks like there hasn't been any. I don't know before that. That's just a list I'm looking at. But, I mean, the majority of uh, players from Luxembourg are currently in Germany, I, I think you said as well. So you've got three in the Bundesliga. Um, you were i saying there? Uh, Borges, Sanchez, uh, Gladbach. you You've got Brero, uh, Menz, You've got uh, Olison at Cologne. Um and then two in the Bundesliga two one at Saint Poli Sinani and then uh Duarte who's uh, uh Elversberg um oh there's another couple in the in the two Bundesliga as well and then it's in the the three league the regional league and the Oberliga but you've also got three in France uh one in the Austrian Bundesliga one in Azerbaijan so. Yeah, the, the the player from Luxembourg fair get around. One in Norway, top tier as well. The Kakanen in Finland, we've talked about that before. Uh, now, here's one that I'm a, a particular fan of. Uh, plays in Bulgaria for CSK Sofia. Uh, don't suppose you know who I'm talking about, do
2: you, Benz? Yeah, it's Ines Mahmudovic, uh one of the centre-backs of the national team. Correct. Great yes. player, really. Yeah.
0: Well, the thing is, I I have never watched Enes Mamutovic play in real life. Uh, I signed him for my Sterling Albion side and football manager about three years ago, and he was one of the best players I have ever signed. Honestly, man, I, I, can, I, I can't praise him enough without ever having seen the guy in real life. It was class. And I don't know what it is. Whenever I see his name pop up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I hope you're doing well, you know, just based on uh, this thing that didn't actually happen. So... Uh, I always kind of keep an eye <laughs> yeah. on him. You know, it, it can kind of happen. But yeah, um, I mean, you know, when he was in my game, he was it was unreal. And uh, you'll know more about me what his kind of style of players. But he seems like quite a big roving centre half.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's probably in the game. He he sure is in the game. I'm gonna have to look at his ability and and his potential because. If it's still that high, then we might have to edit that a little bit because it's not quite realistic <laughs> to be such a monster. Oh we'll no, listen,
0: it yeah, it was. um Yeah, I, was, I had I had advanced quite a few years in the game. I think it was. So this was in twenty twenty, and I think in the game I was in like twenty twenty nine or something. I can't remember how old, I signed him when he was about thirty. I think. So he um, has
1: plenty of time. 2029 20, has another six years to get up to that level. Then you he might turn out to be pressure that. on the man.
0: Uh, he has six years to get up to the level of Sterling Albion. So there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, um, guess, guess friend, guess, uh, just uh, one more point, uh, on him. Uh, I won't tarp on him about him too much, even though he broke my heart. Um, but. Is he like the poster boy of Luxembourg football? Would he? Would it be a good thing for him? Uh, because, as I said, he is quite eccentric. He does his rap songs. He does all this kind of stuff. Um, would he attract, uh, you know, attention to uh, Luxembourg football?
2: He does. He's the biggest fan favorite, I think, around the yeah. Luxembourg national team because of college performances. Whenever it met, really mattered against Ireland, as you said, for example. Mm. And he, he does a lot for the community. He goes back to Luxembourg regularly. visits family and friends and everything. And when he played in Saudi Arabia, he was on an injury leave officially, or I think it was an international break. In international break, he played one of the games and then picked up a force and went home uh, without telling the manager. And in that same international break, he announced that he was starting a training camp in his homeland, in his hometown, Hostert, in Luxembourg, while he was still contracted to the Saudi Arabian team. So he just took two weeks off uh did a training camp for kids, 13, 14 year olds. And then of course he he got the message from Sarajevo Club that he wasn't gonna have to show up in training ever again because that sort of thing isn't really encouraged uh, over there in professional circumstances. So he became a free agent afterwards quite quickly. So luckily he found he's found another new club since then.
1: Yeah, he's said uh, as I said, he sound he sounds like he he kind of does whatever he wants to do uh, himself. But, um, so, you've said already, uh, you hope that, you know, you're, you're excited at the prospect of um, Luxembourg maybe qualifying for the next Euros. The Euros are this summer, actually. Um. So, but you definitely expect them maybe, you know, maybe another Europe. Maybe the World Cup? Would the World Cup be too soon? It is extended in, in teams, in countries, hasn't it? So, can you see Luxembourg mm. getting to the World Cup for Mexico, uh, USA and Canada? Would no, that be realistic? Good. The
2: European Championship will be much easier, I think, because uh, if you look at what uh, the extensions were to the World Cup's uh, level playing field, none of the new members are European. So I think Asia got some sports, Africa got some additional sports, Oceania has one guaranteed spy I think, now, and then South America and Europe just pretty much say the same. So it's almost impossible for Luxembourg to to be in the best 12, 13, 14, whatever it is from Europe to, to make it to the World Cup. So maybe in a year which we'll have two or three European hosts, which means those countries will not participate in the qualifying section, Luxembourg will have a chance to edge a second or third spot in their group and thus make it out. That could be an option, but not for now, definitely. And I, I think the European Championships will be just about enough for this country to make a name for themselves at least and show themselves at the biggest stage at first and we'll see if we can progress and qualify for the World Cup ever. Yeah, I mean, uh,
1: obviously... I, I would say Luxembourg are probably the team, like this, again, the so called smaller nation that are kind of showing other nations like Gibraltar, San Marino. Uh, now, I'm comparing them to them because uh, that's the kind of, you know, wh- what everybody would kind of compare them to, but they're showing them type of nations that, you know, it can be done. They can compete with, with other clubs or other countries, pardon me. Uh, I suppose Iceland would be the other one that uh, that that could that sh- showed everybody uh, that, you know, it, it's not down to population size that any country can kind of achieve uh, what they want um, if they put the hard work in it, if the infrastructure is put in. And, uh, you know, if you have a, a star name or two and a bit of luck, um, you know, it can be done. And to be honest, I, I really do hope Luxembourg do make it to the Euros, and uh, not not just for the nation itself, but for yourself, Ben. So I think because the work that you put in promoting Luxembourg football, I think it would be quite enjoyable for yourself. Would you go to Germany? It's an no, where is it? It's Germany, isn't it?
2: It's Germany. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah would you go? I think almost certainly I would, and then I'd consider what I can do with these because I think if we qualify, if Luxembourg qualifies for the European Championships, then surely we'll go with some sort of follower boost or some sort of attention on social media as well so yeah. I have to carefully manage what I do that five minutes of fame you know that I get in this modern era so I haven't quite planned it out yet but I sure will have to put together something that can get the most out of uh, this occasion and make it something that we last lost and something that people will still remember and continue to follow and not just something that will be forgotten about because Otomov are just the minnows of heroes who went out straight away and nobody ever cared about them or ever actually bothered to, to know more about the team. Uh, I would have to take responsibility to show people uh, these inside stories and the interesting aspects uh, of this whole story, I think.
0: I love that man. It's it's a great it's a great mission, and and as we said at the start, you're obviously very passionate about it. I mean, if Luxembourg can make it, hopefully we'll see you in Germany. <laughs> I mean, Scotland. I don't want to jinx it, but I mean, we're we have we've got twelve points out of twelve at the top of the the league so far, and we're, uh, we've got four games remaining. So I think touch wood we will make it, barring any like serious collapses. But hopefully we'll see you there. Um, if uh, it's Scotland getting in a game with Luxembourg, then uh. <laughs> Yeah, happy days. <laughs> no <Yeah>. offense.
1: <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> Ireland are pro- Well, I mean, if we if we could be Holland, and um, maybe maybe we might do it, but if not. Uh, I can always start speaking French Uh, come on to the pill Uh, (laughs) uh, you know there's always that option Um, but uh, no look if if Luxembourg do get to uh, get to the Euros in Germany I think that would be a huge achievement and yeah definitely Ben you'll have to uh, clear your schedule uh, that whole summer because you will be a busy man um, because a lot of people will be going to you about, about the players and stuff like that and the knowledge of Luxembourg football um, I can one hundred percent. Well, we'll definitely be guiding them to you, and um, because you are the number one man when it comes to Luxembourg football.
0: Yeah, you'll be the the go-to for a lot of people. Um, I think hoping to, uh, see it through you as well and the experiences that you have. So hopefully, hopefully Luxembourg can make it. It would be a, a massive thing and a historic achievement as well, and, and great for other small nations and small football nations around Europe too. But
1: and and as well, Ben's um. Get, try, I mean, I'd, I'd love, personally I'd love to see you get an interview with Gerson Fernandez. I think that interview would uh, would be a classic. Would, would you, would you <laughs> do an interview with him?
2: Uh, I, I don't know if I, if I would even be able to. I'm going to try and contact him. I have contacted players previously and managers from the league. Of course, it's a lot easier with amateur and yeah. professional players than the ones that have agents and entourages. And, family members working for them and helping out with stuff but um, I'm gonna have to give it a try because that would be a banger honestly I, I, I think it would be nice well. if you
0: could that would be really really cool
2: yeah as for now I'm really glad to just be doing interviews with these amateur players and now that we've talked about Spora I have an interesting story that I thought could uh, fit uh, towards the end of the conversation I just remember this uh, told by Aline uh, I think it might have been included in the book or Something I don't know. It was about a youth tournament. Does it ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. It was in the last season of yeah. the whole club, and the Luxembourgish youth competition, the number one youth competition, uh, works with two stages, and each of the winners, like the two stage winners, will play final. Except of course, if the same team wins both stages, then there will be no final. And Spora, having won the first stage. Uh, also had a chance to go out and and win the next one as well. It was two separate knockout competitions, imagine it that way. One was already won by Spora, and they got to the final of the second one as well, and they faced Jeunesse there. But by that point, it was already sure that the team was going to split up, and all of those talented youngsters who had great cohesion between them as the best academy in Luxembourg, they were going to have to find new clubs. So... They actually found out in the dressing room that they, they were never going to play again uh, with each other as a team. So they decided to lose their final game to be overtaken by Jeunesse so that they could play a uh, last game in the final, an extra game together. And that was I think that was a great story because it was actually allen who had to take a penalty against Jeunesse in the last game, which they were supposed to lose. So he just deliberately missed it. And it was a happy occasion and everyone was uh, clapping and everyone was celebrating this some moment. It was almost like they fixed the game, but of course nobody could really say a bad word about them because they still qualified for the final, which they won. But uh, I think the score was 5-2, the score. It was really impressive performance. They knew that they were going to win the final whatever happens. They just had the confidence. They knew they were better than anyone else in that country. So they uh, just wanted to uh, play a last game together before everyone was going to go and do whatever with their lives because uh, of course many of them didn't become footballers in the end so they went out and achieved their last trophy and the last trophy in sports history all together which is yeah. a great touch and it's, it's great that I just managed to interview the person who, who took the penalty, who had that on his shoulders, who was told to uh, just kick a boat and just uh, let the team lose and play the final that
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's a really nice touch, man. It's a beautiful story. It's it's amazing that you were able to interview them as well, uh, and it's amazing that all these people have have gotten touch and you've got in touch with them, looking for interviews with them as well. And I th- I think that's what's really good about quite tight knit football communities and small football nations is that it's very easy for you guys to reach out to these people, uh, and speak to them. And even though. Uh, even though Luxembourg would be considered a, a smaller footballing nation you're still getting the same insights into the game that, that people would in, in other countries so it's, it's really really fascinating and really fantastic Um, now I think that story there it was absolutely beautiful I, I think it's a really nice point to finish things off at. we're just about out of time anyway Uh, Phil is there any last questions that you would like to ask Spence just before we wrap up for the evening?
1: Um, no not really I think that story at the end there epitomises the kind of uh, uniqueness of Luxembourg football um, it's it's one of the more unique uh, countries that we have visited and uh, that we we've spoken about. Of course, Bence knows everything about it and and we follow um his twitter account um religiously when it comes to luxembourg football uh, i've looked into other clubs for you know future projects so bence you will be involved don't <laughs> worry about that I, I will be contacting you about that uh, i have one or two other clubs that i've been researching so uh you we, we, we will be hearing from bence once again Oh, mm. well, bence
0: just one last thing before you go what uh what luxembourgish team do you actually support
2: That's funny because I support none of them. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that. I knew that. That's why you didn't ask it. None of them and all of them at the same time. Of course, when one qualifies for Europe, I I can't not support them. But in the league, I just hope for upsets and many great storylines that I can write about. Uh, You know, things that I can sell, things that I can uh, tell people. And and it's a great story and an interesting, uh, I don't know, little event or happening that doesn't really happen in other countries.
0: I think that's uh, a. I think. It's great, man. I think you're in a, a really, really unique position where you've grown a love for a league that is, is quite out with your own, obviously, out with other European leagues, out with the usual circle of big five. It's obviously not Premier League. Um, It's, it's something that's really overshadowed that a lot of people just dust off. You've grown this love for it. But instead of choosing to back a team, you're looking at it from a neutral perspective so that you can give them all a platform. I think, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's really beautiful as well. And and I think it um it, it gives you a really, really strong and unique position for, for how you look at football and how you look at the league. So, uh, yeah, I think it's great. I really do. Yeah. Look, uh,
1: yeah I, I, I can only follow. Look, Ben, I've told you millions of times, I think it's wonderful and uh, brilliant. Um and hence why I took uh that the that racing club Luxembourg story and put it into my book because it had to be uh put in there. Um not only interesting story, but obviously you're a talented writer, reporter, um, and brilliant at what you do. So uh no delight to have you on, Benz
0: Yeah. It's been a it's been a fantastic episode. It's been a great night. So thank you very much, Benz for spending your time with us and coming on. Uh, especially after the uh, after you were watching the uh, the Swift-Hesperange the Swift game there. Uh, so we do appreciate it. We'll let you get on with the, the rest of your evening now. Uh, to all our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We certainly have. I uh, hope you've learned a little bit about football and Luxembourg and some of the teams that play in it. Uh, we hope you follow them throughout their European adventures and maybe even follow a couple of their domestic games as well um, in cup ties just to see what they're like. So thank you very much if you've made it this far once again. Uh, thanks, next thanks. week... um. Ooh, I'm not too sure who we're going to be doing next week. I think we have a couple of options. Uh, we've got a few episodes sort in the bank if you like, and we've got a few more to record, uh, because we've got another busy spell coming up. So uh we'll decide through the week and we'll obviously let everyone know on Twitter where you can follow us as well as on Instagram, Spotify, Apple, WordPress, um, Linktree. You can check that out and all the other stuff that all the members of the team are doing. Um, already said WordPress, that's for the blog. Uh oh, and buy the book as well as, as phil constantly reminds me buy the book <laughs> you can find that on pitch publishing or amazon uh, if you haven't yet picked it up but if you've enjoyed the podcast thank you very much for listening hopefully this can add it as a good companion to the chapters in that as well but for now we'll sign off for the evening so phil say good night to everyone good night everyone ben say good night to all of our listeners
2: thank you for listening goodbye everyone and we'll see you all again
0: next week. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye.